This episode was recorded via correspondence and may have some sound quality discrepancies. We hope you enjoy the content and look forward to bringing you more. Hello and welcome to our listeners to episode seven of Brain to Bar. My name is Sophia and I'm your host. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest. She is an absolute all-rounder in the health and fitness realm. Here at Brain to Bar, we love people who lead by example, and this woman is no exception. She is a coach, an athlete, dietitian, and one half of the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Welcome to Brain to Bar, Tiara Nelson. Oh my gosh, Sophia, I am so happy to be here. And honestly, thank you so much for having me on. It is an honor. Oh, uh, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. I've been wanting to chat to you for a while. Um, so this is just a really nice moment for me. I'm just going to, I can feel the goosebumps. So I'm just going to let my adrenaline settle for a bit. <laughs> like I'm fangirling you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so before we get started and we get into the nitty gritties of uh, brain fun, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're about. Yeah, so my name is Tiara Nelson. Uh, I am a dietitian who lives here in Australia. And I'm also, you know, a competitive physique athlete. And, you know, I'm a coach as well. So I, uh, I own the business shared with my partner called his name is Jack Bradford Smith. And we both own the business, the bodybuilding dietitians. And we also have a podcast called the bodybuilding dietitians too. And Pretty much, yeah. I went through university. I got my undergraduate degree in nutrition and exercise science, and then I went on to get my master's degree in dietetics. You know, all during that time, I also uh, was working at a gym. I got my cert three and four in fitness. I'm a level one uh, anthropometrist with ISAC as well, and. I just absolutely love and I thrive off health and fitness and nutrition and just enriching your life, you know, through just living the happiest life that you possibly can and using my education to my advantage to, you know, help other people and uh, really just live my best life as well. Wow. What an intro. I love that. I can actually, I can feel the that energy kind of exude from you. I can tell you're very much a people-centric type of person. Um, talk to me about the types of people that you help. Who are your general demographics that you deal with day to day? Yeah. So to be honest, I love helping absolutely any, anyone who is motivated to, you know, change their life by, uh, you know, embracing all aspects of health and fitness. So I really like working with people who, you know, they, they don't neglect their health, you know, they don't take it for granted. And uh, they really want to, you know, they want to learn more, right? And just people who just have any sort of goal, whether, you know, that be physique related, strength related, they just want to feel better, you know, they want to change their mindset and attitude towards, you know, exercise or eating, they just, they just want to feel their best. So I work with a huge demographic of people, but generally people who, uh, you know, are very enthusiastic about life. <laughs> Yes, I feel that. <laughs> I can tell your enthusiasm is very authentic. It's very real. So it's very contagious. <laughs> Amazing. Well, now we've got a little bit of a, a background about what you do, because it seems like you, you do wear a lot of hats. Um, how, just before we go, how long did it take for you to go through your formal study? 
Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't too long. It was four and a half years in total. So the undergraduate degree of a bachelor of nutrition exercise science, that was a three-year degree. And then the master's of dietetics, that was one and a half years. So I, I entered uni when I was around seven, just uh, 17. Right. And then I graduated uh, just after my 22nd birthday. Oh, that's not long at all, really. Yeah, it goes by so quick, right? Like you're 22 and you're a dietitian. You're like, this is freaking epic. <laughs> what do I do now? Adulting. <laughs> what was I doing when I was 22? I was finishing a teaching, a teaching degree. And I just remember going out there going, am I even ready to teach people? <laughs> I know, right? Like sometimes you still feel like a kid. <laughs> Look, I'm 30 and I still feel like a kid. I just don't. I don't know what's going on. I was like, you know, you wait for that moment where you feel like you're responsible and old. And I'm like, no, you yep. know, my dad's 75 and he still behaves like he's 15. I don't think this button exists. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, I think it's lovely to live life and approach life with youth, you know? Yes, I completely <laughs> agree. Well, speaking of how we approach life, I'd love to get down and, um, look into Tiara's mind, how she has become um, what she is now. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the early stages. Maybe is there a point, uh, a really poignant moment in your life where you really had to dig deep and look at the way you thought about things, perspective and mindset? What's, a, what's the mindset process been for you? Yeah, so I think the biggest turning point in my life was probably near the end of 2015. So just to give a bit of background, you know, I majorly struggled with uh, some disordered eating habits, you know, and just a really uh, negative approach to my diet and my training and my body image, all probably for a solid three years, which three years, you know, that's, that's a long time to struggle. So all the way from grade 11, grade 12, and first year uni. So that would have been 2013 all the way until 2015. And during that time, you know, it started off very innocent as it usually does. You know, you just want to, you know, you want to feel a little bit healthier. You want to get a little bit fitter. You want to do some more exercise. You want to, uh, you know, start eating some more nutritious food. But it just, it can develop into a very, very slippery slope, right? So it's innocence, but then you can become obsessive, right? And uh, you get obsessive with uh, constantly exercising. You start forming rules with the types of foods that you are and you aren't allowed to eat. You get obsessed with the scale weight going down, right? And then that's one thing as well, you know, uh, once you want to start losing some weight, but then once that scale weight starts to plateau, which at a number, it probably should plateau because you're probably nearing on underweight. You think that you're doing something wrong, right? Because you're so used to constantly seeing it go down. So that's something I really, really struggled with for a solid three years is just I got very involved in long distance running. I would just expend copious amounts of energy just running like 10 to 15 kilometers every single day and um, just eating, unfortunately not eating to fuel myself properly. I was severely under eating and I really, really struggled with that for a long, long time. Uh, so that was, yeah, grade 11, grade 12 and all the way until first year uni. So 
The turning point really for me was at the end of first year uni when I'd actually just had my wisdom teeth out and I wasn't allowed to exercise for about a week. And uh, yeah. I really just had some time to just sit with my thoughts, you know, and think about what am I really doing? You know, what do I really want to get out of this? And I really just decided that I no longer wanted to, you know, exercise and eat with the like with the goal of just breaking my body down, you know, I really wanted to start exercising and eating with a purpose in store in order to start building myself up. So there was this huge transition period there. And, uh, you know, pretty much at that time, I was almost at the end of my first year uni studying nutrition, exercise science. I was a good runner, you know, I uh, like in high school, I was captain of cross country and athletics. And, you know, I ran at state levels and I was part of the UQ track team at the university. But like, I always knew that like I was never going to be at that level. I was never going to run at like a national level. I was never going to be an Olympian or something like that. Right. And also, I knew in my heart that the, one of the main drivers for why I was running is really just because I knew it was such a great form of energy expenditure. And I was in this awful mindset of whatever I want, whatever I ate, you know, I just wanted to expend that, right? I just wanted to burn off every single calorie I ate. And I was, I was obsessed with that. But God, having a week off running, I realized like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so I told my track coach, like, I'm like, I need, I need a break. And at that time I told him I needed a break, but what I, I really knew I was like, I, I don't want to, I just don't want to do this to myself anymore. And, uh, it was kind of just like, I flicked the switch, you know, like instead of riding my bike down to the track, I started riding my bike to the gym at the university every single day. And, you know, I started going into the gym and I started lifting weights and I just felt so empowered. And finally, you know, I was eating more food in order to fuel myself and just watching my body composition change, especially, you know, those newbie gains you get at the beginning, right? It's <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> oh, they are the best, right? And I finally felt like I was applying all of these wonderful things that I was learning at university finally to myself. I was finally fueling my performance. I was finally doing the types of exercise that were changing my body composition in the way that I wanted. And I just fell in love with that. Like every single day riding my bike to the gym in the sun, like I just got the biggest endorphin rush, you know, just as this 18 year old. And I was like, I'm so happy. <laughs> and um, so that was certainly the biggest turning point for me. That was at the end of 2015. And I haven't, I haven't gone back to running since, you know, I've, I've been in the gym ever since then. And I've just, I've absolutely fallen in love with it, but boy, it's, it took a long time. You know, I think anyone who's ever gone through, you know, disordered eating, right. Or just a poor relationship with exercise. They know that the road to recovery, it's never a smooth one. You know, you're going to have relapses, like whether that be with excessive amounts of exercise or whether you're binge eating, right? Like it's going to happen, but you need to accept that and you need to, you know, take something from every single one of those experiences as a learning experience, you know, and say, okay, it happened, but I know that I'm going to get better, right? And then those things start to happen less frequently, you know, like I, I did suffer with binge eating for a very, very long time, about three years, right? And my way of coping with that was excessive amounts of uh, exercise and also food restriction. 
But once I, you know, after I did it, right, like I always knew I was, I, I hated the way that I felt, right? I, I absolutely hated it. And it's because you would go through those periods of so much restriction, right? You're in such an energy deficit from running for so long. And also you're eating such a small amount of food. And then it gets to that point where your body is just so hungry. And the way that I like to describe it is like, you know, you're trying to stay strong, right? Imagine that you're hanging off the edge of a cliff by your fingertips, right? And you're trying to stay strong and you don't want to fall, right? You don't want to give in, but eventually like your fingertips, you know, you just lose strength and then you fall and you just keep falling into this pit, right? And you lose self-control and uh, eventually, you know, you find yourself in the kitchen just eating random things like like Milo with a spoon and you know, you're like eating cold blocks of cheese and you feel like oh, someone crazy. else has taken over your mind, right? It, it's crazy. And just that, that loss of control and uh, you know, you don't really know what's happening. And then, you know, you come back to rela reality and you're like, oh my God, what did I just do? But like, the, the main thing is you can, you can break free from that habit. Like it's obviously you're, you are going to have relapses. You know, I had three years of relapses, but eventually, you know, instead of weekly, it might become monthly. Then every few months it might happen. Then maybe once a year. And then eventually you just, you form a much better relationship with food and your body and exercise and it will get better. You know, you just, you do have to put in the work. <laughs> I love that little snap. And I, I know it's just a snapshot into your life because thank, well, firstly, thank you for sharing that. That was just my brain. I think um, my brain's just gone nuts. I'm trying to pick up all the thoughts as they come in. I'm like, yes, I yes, wasn't yes. expecting all of that to come out. <laughs> That's the most beautiful part of it. It's like, I love, I love chatting to people because it's almost like it's therapy. It's, it's bringing out, you know, those thoughts that are stuck in there. And it, it does help you get to know yourself mm -hmm. a little bit more and it helps you appreciate what you've come through, like your experiences. And it's, uh, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, binge eating. This is something that is rife. It's everywhere. It's always like, there's always every second mm -hmm. person, every person have a situation where they feel like they're binge eating or they're in a, a phase of binge eating. I'm just going to say right now that I am a binge eater and always have yeah. been because of, I am a very obsessive compulsive personality. Mm -hmm. And I find that binge eaters like that, that binge, binge, binge tend to be at some level, like, you know, excessive compulsive or, you know, um, that kind of thing. And I understand my behavior and I manage my behavior in another way. Um, with binge eating and, um, which would say, if we can draw back to your experience, you did mention that you had body image issues in the past and the disordered eating, um, binge eating tends to go hand in hand with that. Did you, um, were there any specific triggers that you know? Yeah, that's something I was just going to say as well. You have to identify what your triggers are. And mm. often mine were, mine were usually a trigger of stress, right? Like for example, when I was going through, you know, my final year of high school, right. Or first year uni, like 
perhaps you didn't have the best night's sleep and then you have to study really hard for an exam. You know, uh, it might be Sunday, which is your rest day. That's the day that you're not exercising. You're just home. You're just studying. And you've had a week before, right, of like copious amounts of ener- uh, exercise. And then, I don't know, it just, it all seems to accumulate and build up. And the combination of being stressed, being in a severe deficit, you know, um, I think that kind of builds up and that was often a trigger for me. I I just got into this awful mentality of like, uh, pretty much Monday to Saturday, I was just doing, I was doing so much training, you know, I was, I was exercising so much, especially just back in high school. Like I was doing either cross country or track in the morning, which could be up to, you know, 10 or 15 kilometers kind of thing, going to school all day in the afternoon, I would go and I'd play hockey and then I'd play volleyball. Some nights I would go and I would waitress at night, just expending so much energy. Um, and then at the end of the week, it would just freaking hit you. Right. And at mm-hmm. the same time you kind of fall into it's, it's a really, really negative cycle because throughout the week, if you know you've been depriving yourself, you kind of know in the back of your head, you're like, I'm pretty skinny, you know, I can, I can probably afford to eat a little bit more, you know, right? Um, and then you fall into that trap and you're like, I know that I've binged eat before, you know, and yeah, I felt terrible about it, but you know, a few days later, I didn't eat much food and I was back to normal. So how about I just do it again, right? So there weren't the most, there weren't, there weren't severe negative consequences. Uh, so sometimes it's very easy, easy to, you know, psychologically convince yourself that, you know, it, it's okay. It's okay to do this. So yeah, there, there were certainly triggers and it's just, it's just about that awful cycle that you just have to break free from, but that's always the hardest part, you know, breaking free from it the first time, convincing yourself that, no, I don't want to do this, you know? And the first time that you do resist, right? And you don't give in, then, you know, that wires in your brain that proves to yourself that, hey, you know, I actually am capable. I'm actually pretty strong. So that then the next time you feel a trigger, you know, or that opportunity arises, you know, from past experience that, no, you know, I'm capable of saying no, and I can say no again. So, as it goes on, it gets easier. But just like anything, the hardest part is always just doing it that first time. When when you did notice those things, um, every time, say, like, you would notice your body starts to go into that binge habit and that cycle of thoughts, mm-hmm. did you have or develop any kind of strategies to manage it easier as you went? Or was it just, you know, sheer willpower and saying, no, Tiara, you're not going to do this and just kind of wait it out? Or did you have strategies Mm -hmm. that you implemented as you went? So I think actually speaking to someone really, really helps and being social. I found that the times when I was the most susceptible to giving into a binge and having a binge episode was when I was alone and I didn't have anyone to talk to. But I found that, you know, if I could go and talk to my sister, if I could could go and talk to my mom or my dad, or if I could just go on a walk and call a friend or something, right? Like that social interaction, just to talk to someone, but also it's that distraction, breaking free from that environment. You know, you're not home alone with a kitchen full of food kind of thing. You're out and doing something. That is a really, really great way to break free from it. So I found that's what, that is certainly what really did help me, but that's acutely, you know, when it's, it's happening just then, but in the long term, honestly, 
the solution is that you, you have to work on your relationship with food and your body and exercise, right? You have to accept that there are no good and bad foods kind of thing, right? You have to accept that, you know, sometimes your body, you need to gain weight. That's why you're constantly feeling like you want to eat a copious amount of food because you've been chronically underweight for so long. So you need to change that too. So that's more of more of the long-term thing, but that's the hardest thing, right? Like at the very beginning, when, when this happens so innocently, you know, you start a diet, but then it's, uh, it's kind of like things start getting ingrained in your brain at the rate at which, I guess an analogy for it would be like, let's say you're laying down concrete, right? So at the very start, you know, you've got like just a fresh, a fresh path or something. And then you start laying down concrete with these ideas of, okay, there's good and bad foods. I'm allowed to eat this, but I'm not allowed to eat this. Uh, you know, I have to exercise this much per day kind of thing. Or, you know, I'm, I'm only allowed to eat breakfast and lunch. I'm not allowed to eat dinner. So you start laying those things down and concrete will dry pretty fast. You know, you put it down and it dries pretty fast, but then it's solid as concrete. You know, it's freaking hard and concrete's really, really hard to break. So you can, you know, convince yourself of these things and it can build up in your mind. Right. But then once it's hard and it's, it's concrete solid, then you go back and you're like, Oh shit. Like, I don't actually want to think this way. You know, like I don't like this actually trying to break that concrete down. It takes a hell of a lot of effort and a hell of a lot of time. It's achievable, but you know, I think that it's a lot harder. It takes a lot more time to break free from those habits than it takes to actually form the habits in the first place. That is an amazing analogy. I absolutely love it. As soon as you said the concrete, I just had this image of myself with like a giant, like a cement drill, like trying to break it up, going, change habits, damn it, change it. That's what it mentally feels like, right? Sometimes. Just, sometimes just like, you literally feel like you're hitting your head against the pavement. That's just like yeah. things going through. Oh, that is a beautiful analogy. I love that. <laughs> well, if we take this into your experience as a coach and an athlete. So mm -hmm. you coach, um, obviously, a lot of uh, bodybuilding competitors and people that mm -hmm. want to compete, get on stage. Um, there is a level of obsession that comes, well, that, you know, is almost necessary to be, say, a professional athlete because you yes. know, the life of a professional athlete is very different from your gen pop. Like, balance is just doesn't exist when you are a professional athlete and you ask any Olympian, anyone who's ever done kind of high end sport and athletics balance does mean means nothing to the athlete given this kind of environment where obsession is almost necessary to achieve. How does an athlete or manage this kind of behavior during and once it's done, because we know that obsession, especially if you're high risk of something like myself, like obsessive compulsive disorder, it can mm -hmm. continue. Do you have any um, methods that you may use for yourself or your own clients to help them understand the actual process of competition, but also how to kind of switch out of it? Afterwards. Yeah. 
That is, that is a really good question. And, you know, that's the thing I, one of my favorite sayings when it comes to bodybuilding and, you know, any, you know, high level sport is that if you have specific goals, you need to do specific things. You know, there's no two ways around that. If you want to get the absolute, you know, best out of something, you need to follow a very specific process in order to achieve that very specific goal. Right. So one, you do have to accept that. That's the thing. So that needs to be very clear between a coach and an athlete. Like, hey, you know, like if we are committing to doing a 25 week bodybuilding prep, you know, we need to do these very specific things if you want to take this very seriously and get the absolute best out of this. And another thing is that I think what actually what makes me what why I would say that I'm I'm a pretty good coach is that I can really relate to people you know I think that I think it's wonderful in a way that I have actually gone through these life experiences and I've thought about this before you know like what if what if life <laughs> Is, if, is this even possible for life to be perfect? You know, like what if everything was sunshine and rainbows, you know, and I had a sports dietitian working with me since I was 12 years old, you know, and I got into gymnastics and like, you know, I had a, a powerlifting coach and I learned how to do an Olympic squat at the age of, you know, 12 or something. And I, and I went up from there and I never got an injury, you know, and all of these different things, um, all of these different things. Like what if, I, from the very beginning, I never had to go through any struggles, any adversities. Uh, and I was the most amazing and healthy and strongest athlete. Like imagine what I'd be like then, like what you would be like is you wouldn't be relatable. You wouldn't necessarily be a human being because what makes, you know, people themselves is, you know, their life experiences and going through struggles and going through adversities. And it makes you a relatable human being. If you've never gone through any of those things and you can't relate to your athletes and they're trying to like talk to you, you know, and tell you they're the different things they're struggling with, like, right. You can empathize with them and you can be like, Oh, that that's too bad. That, that I'm sorry to hear that kind of thing, but like, you can't, <laughs> you know, you can't, you, you can't relate. Um, so that's one thing, you know, I think that actually a coach going through struggles of their own will make them a better coach. It's, it's those life experiences and learning experiences, but getting back to that question, you know, pretty much it's about communication and about preparing an athlete, you know? And the thing is, is that there's tens of thousands of people, probably over a hundred, so many people on this planet over the decades have gone through bodybuilding shows. You know, there's been competitors and there's been coaches and we know the process, you know, there's enough anecdotal information out there. So the main thing is communication and preparing someone for something, right? So for example, like the post-comp recovery period, you should be having a conversation with your client about the post-comp recovery period during their improvement season before they even enter a comp prep, you know, they should be well informed on what they're going to expect, you know, and you should have a solid game plan on how, you know, you should attack that. So yeah, uh, preparation, you know, communication and just just listening to people. That's, that's really it. I love that. Absolutely. Communication can do a lot of good in all parts of life. It's a lot of people I find, especially in this kind of industry is that people speak and listen, but they don't listen to listen. They listen to respond. It's always, Mm -hmm. you know, 
this is um, how you do a squat. Oh, but you should do a squat like this because X, Y, Z, rather than, okay, why is this person doing this squat? Let's have a look. Let's actually listen to what this person has to say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's, it's one of those things we're very quick to throw our opinions, you know, that concrete, we're quick to throw bits of our own concrete at other people, <laughs> like the chips that fall off because we have ingrained those thoughts. We have those habits in there. And once, like you said, something is solid, it's very hard to actually dissect and break apart. So we, we even forget why we laid down that concrete in the first place. So yeah, let's, this is something I really want to talk to you about, given you're a dietitian and you're a competitor. So you've got this whole like connection. I love connections. I'm like a Sherlock Holmes. I, I like connecting everything. But what are your thoughts on nutrition and the brain? So this is something I was, I had a complete like nerd off with a couple of my girls um, last week. You know, some people have wine Zoom nights. We have like professional development Zoom days where we just talk about really sciencey things. Oh man, I would love that. <laughs> oh good. Um, and we were talking about obviously um, a bit of neuroscience and we're looking at, you know, um, the formulation of new neural pathways to create new patterns of thought. And and one of my friends actually, um, Flick, who was on the podcast, I think it was episode one, she's actually studying at the moment and she was looking at, you know, the absolute, we're like right to the cellular level compounds that make up certain hormones and um, beautiful things that make us feel, make us think, that connect things. And I'd, it was one of those moments where I just went, that's an amino acid. <laughs> Food. And we just had this big um, kind of, it was almost like, you know, when you have those moments where you, you knew something but then a penny drops and it just opens this whole pandora's box of oh i know exactly what you mean it makes you think about it in a completely different way you're just like mind blown absolutely and i wanted to talk see what your thoughts were on it because at the end of the day people forget that our bodies are made up of essentially food things that we ingest and our thoughts are not just you know electrical signals they come from like your neurotransmitters, they're made up of, to put it really bluntly, food. So what is your take on the effects of nutrition on the brain itself, on its mechanics, on its thought processes? Give us your... Yeah. So to be honest, like I've... I, I would say that I am a very happy and enthusiastic and passionate person, you know, but I would, I honestly believe that a huge contributor to that is the way that I eat. You know, I do eat very, very nutritious food and I'm, that's the thing. Like I, I love being able to apply my education to my diet because if I didn't, I'd feel like fool, you know, like I know all of these wonderful things when it comes to nutrition science, you know, and fueling for performance, you know, and fueling for health and just feeling your best. And uh, I love to, you know, really just put that into practice. I'm like, man, I've, I've got all this knowledge. It's kind of like, you know, a, uh, an engineer, right. Going to university and learning how to build bridges, but then, you know, they go out and they, they're like, nah, you know, I'll just use these other supplies, you know, and they don't build the best bridge. It's like, 
but dude, you have the skills. Like what? Um, and I guess an, an analogy that I would think about it is that let's say that, yeah, you know, let's say that there is a builder, right? Um, he, he's a great builder and this builder would be equivalent to a, a nutrition, um, a nutrition science professor, right? And he's teaching an apprentice how to build houses. And this is a very, very well-educated builder. He's the best. And he says to this apprentice, you know, like, look at this street, you know, like they're all, all of these homes, right? They all look pretty similar. They're all standing up, but I'm going to teach you how to build a house that with, can withstand any storm, you know? And it's going to be an amazing house. And I'm going to sh like teach you how to build it with the absolute best supplies so that no matter what hits, like it's going to be able to withstand that. So I feel like that's almost similar to people's bodies, right? If you look at a group of people, everyone has a body. We all look pretty similar, right? But if someone is fueling themselves, you know, and really, really looking after themselves in terms of the way that the, the, the types of food that they put into their body, you know, if sickness strikes or if something strikes, right, even though all of these people look similar, that person is going to be able to withstand it. So I I'm, I'm a very, very strong believer in that. And uh, I, 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 I just really do believe that the type of food that you put into your body, it's going to influence everything from your mental health to just your, like who you are as a person, the way that you think, your energy levels, the way that you're able to perform, how long you're going to live, you know, isn't the ultimate goal in life to live the longest, happiest life you can. So, you know, food is a huge contributor to that. So that's kind of, hopefully that made sense, but that's kind of the way that I think about it. And, but at the same time, I've also recognized that, you know, a huge aspect of that is yes, there's remarkably nutritious foods out there, but that doesn't mean necessarily that other foods are necessarily bad. So for example, I used to be that person, you know, like I used to be over at my parents' house, right? And we would be having an amazing dinner, right? My dad would make a, a big vegetable stir fry, you know, with like prawns and a bunch of fresh vegetables and, you know, uh, fresh herbs and spices. But then what if my dad wants to put some oyster sauce, right? In the stir fry. And I would be that person who would go up to the oyster sauce, you know, jar and I would read the ingredients and I'd be like, no, this has sugar in it. Like that is bad. Therefore the whole meal is bad and I don't want to eat it. Like I used to be that crazy psychotic person. Like if you had one ingredient that I, that you had labeled as bad, but you had all of these other wonderful ingredients, right? It would totally just shadow over that. Right. Um, and it, yeah. So sorry, that is a bit of a tangent, but pretty much realizing that it is your relationship with food and it is recognizing that there aren't necessarily good and bad foods. There are more nutritious foods. And I'm a huge, strong advocate for filling your diet as much as you can with remarkably nutri nutrient dense foods. But th at the same time, you know, if, if you have something with some white sugar in it, you know, don't stop it Not from eating die. the rest of your vegetables. <laughs> Absolutely. Just, you know, maybe don't eat it like a sugar coated uh, celery stick every day, but exactly. <laughs> you know, if it just happens, why not? No, I love that. Yeah. It's, and look, to be honest, you know, I feel like I've been one of those people too in the past where I've kind of, I've read the label of them. No, you cannot use, like, my mum's my actually a chef and she, mm. she's from Thailand. So 
Thai chef, lots of curries, lots of stir fries in my, in my house. And my mum has all of like the family recipes. And, you know, back in those yeah. days, pff, they use whatever. Like it's... Exactly. Whatever tastes the best. The best. And um, I remember the first time it was back in 2013 where I decided for the very first time I was going to do a bodybuilding competition. Both my parents were like, what? Like, uh, my, like my dad comes from a Greek culture. It's all food. Mum's Thai culture. Yeah. It's all food. A foodie family. And they <laughs> just didn't understand the concept of dieting. And I just remember I had such a hard time because I was trying to learn about these things and dealing with my obsessive compulsive behavior and then dealing with restrictions and then trying to teach my parents what I was doing. And I remember that. I think I became such a, I don't know, like I just wouldn't eat anything if someone else had touched it and it was a very poor behavior I had no relationship with food I think it was it's like you know when you start dating someone and you're just kind of getting to know them and there are little (laughs) things that you notice and then you're like oh that might get annoying but we'll see or you know yes and and I you know it was a very long courting process and I have to say it probably it wasn't until like because I did my first competition and then I didn't compete for like four years after that. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted to wow. win, but it was kind of like, you know what? I, I did it well. I had a really good coach the first time around and I'm. Oh, you thankful. lucky bug. <laughs> yeah. I'm so thankful that I could actually, I learned so much. Like it was almost one of those moments where I was overloaded with so much information, especially about nutrition that I it blew my mind to smithereens. I had no brain left after that. So I think that's why I need another like four years to kind of explore each facet of nutrition. And yeah, it wasn't until I, I, I did a bit more study and I actually communicated with other people and I communicated with food and I started exploring, you know, what I liked as opposed to what I thought I should eat because so-and-so said so. Yeah. It was just... It was quite literally a relationship forming to the point now where, you know, I've come to terms with the fact that I'm not going to have, you know, a, a fairy tale relationship with food all the time. Like it's going to piss me off sometimes. And it still does at times where I'll go, no, I shouldn't have eaten that or you shouldn't have been in the house. Damn it. I should have bought it. Like, Yeah. The, the overarching understanding is that, I now understand what these foods contain. I know what, when it goes into my body, how I feel. I know how it makes me feel in the present and in the future. And it's, it's one of those where you can start, it's, it is a nice open dialogue with food. You listen to how mm-hmm. the food affects your body. You, you listen to yourself, how it affects your mood, how your brain feels. And it's, it's a very complex relationship, but I feel like, the fact that you have coined it as well as a, as a relationship, that's all what it is. And you need to treat this relationship with food like you would treat your relationship with your, your partner. Exactly. You got to work on it. And the thing is you are, you're so much more grateful and appreciative of your relationship with food later down the track. If you do go through those struggles, you know, like if you go through those crazy times of Gosh, I remember, like, for example, I used to make just plain oats with water uh, every single morning, just a flat cup. And I remember, I distinct, this is a memory is like ingrained in my brain. I, I remember dropping one oat 
on the counter and then picking it up and throwing it back in. And I was like, oh my God, what if the counter had oil on it? Um, like it was, it was, I was actually going a little bit crazy to that point. Like I was like, oh my God, what if the counter had one molecule of oil on it? And I just put that in my oat and now I'm eating an extra molecule of oil. Or I thought I was going crazy in the sense that like, I thought my parents wanted to fatten me up. So they might be like lacing the salt with like oil. Or yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought I literally, I think I was going a little bit nuts. And it was at that point. I remember that morning I was, I left for school and I was walking to school and I was like, holy crap, am I ever going to get better if I'm actually thinking in this way? But, you know, it just, your relationship with food builds, you know, and once you can, you really come to appreciate, you know, once you realize like when you can go to a restaurant and look at a menu and just order what you actually want to eat, you're like, wow, that sounds delicious. Right. And you actually eat that meal with no sense of guilt. You didn't pick that meal because it was the lowest calorie or the highest protein or whatever. Right. It is so freeing and it makes you appreciate it so, so much. But again, it takes time to get to that spot, you know, and I've, I've been in so many situations over the years where I like, I was so like distracted by the thought of food that I couldn't even be present in a conversation if food was around. So like, you know, when you go to a party, right. And there's a big food table and then you're talking to people at the party. Like I would be in a position sometimes where I couldn't even be fully present in a conversation because we'd be standing near the food table. And I would constantly be thinking in the back of my mind, like, you know, oh my God, am I going to, like, I really want that food. Like, am I going to, you know, go and have a binge episode at this party? Like all of these crazy thoughts. And you can't even, you can't even actually properly speak to people and communicate. But what over the years, as you let go, like, for example, it's starting to allow yourself little things that you used to restrict completely. So like I used to think that all fat was bad and cheese is a great source of fat, right? But now every single day I have 10 to 15 grams of cheese melted on my egg every single morning. And I love it, right? I love cheese so much. Uh, But because I have that every single day, right? Now when I go out to an event or something and there's a big cheese platter, I don't have those past feelings of like, oh my God, I'm going to sneakily hide beside this cheese platter for half an hour and just eat copious (laughs) amounts of cheese and just like hope that no one sees me kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm exactly but you know what I mean? This shiz takes time and we go through really, really weird experiences, but you never fully understand until, until you actually go through it. But then once you can break free from it, it's the best feeling in the world, knowing that, wow, I can just eat food and move on with my freaking life. That's absolutely <laughs> right. I'm also very glad I found another cheese head. I love cheese so much. I, my cheese, my cheese of choice, sorry, I just had a bit of a tongue, cheese of choice um, in the morning is I actually love my Danish feta with my egg. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, I'm a feta fiend. Um, that's actually my party trick. My, I used to grow up with all these different types of feta. If you put like six different types on the table, I'll be able to taste it and tell you which country it's from. That's my... That's my that is, favorite. that is a freaking skill. I am not on that level. I love... <laughs> cheese so much but yes it's one of those things as well where you know I because I love cheese I wanted to learn a little bit more about how I could integrate it into my daily diet because look 
it's part of my culture, we eat a lot of cheese and it's one of the battles that I didn't want to pick. You know, when it comes to, mm-hmm. you need to work with what's best for you and how you can enjoy your life, but also, you know, stay educated, stay informed about what you're doing. And I actually went and researched cheese and different types of cheeses. And that's when I found out, you know, my little extra tiny bowl of cheese snacks was adding 200 calories to my daily intake when I went, whoa, this is why I'm not, you know, achieving goals right now. And then I started learning a bit more about, all right, different types of cheese and integrating that what types of fats are in different types of cheese. And mm-hmm. it was just so fascinating. And it's, it's helped me actually reintegrate all sorts of cheeses back into my diet. So I don't feel like I have to be, you know, actually at my best friend's wedding, they had a cheese cake, but it was cheese. It was oh. just stacks. Oh my God. <laughs> And I, that was like my test. I went to the wedding and went, I don't feel compelled to eat all of that cheese. This is, this is. Yeah. And it's the best feeling in the world. Wow. I'm so glad that we can relate in that sense. Food. It's, I think it's so important because food is, it is fuel. It, it will help you build your body. It will help you build your neurotransmitters to make your thoughts better, more productive, more efficient, your muscles stronger. But at the same time, in this day and age, food is social. Food is cultural. And there are certain points where, you know, you go to a family, a special you know, family gathering for an occasion, there's going to be food. People pride themselves mm-hmm. on like cooking and, you know, serving up. And it's one of those things where you don't want to miss out on that. Um, depend, it's, I know in a lot of cultures, it's almost, you know, it's blasphemous to reject food on that occasion, or it's really offensive. You know, if you go to my family, like if you don't eat the food, they look at you like, why are you not eating? <laughs> and they get offended. Like, you don't like my food. And it's one of those things. Well, okay. I need to understand how to eat, my relationship with food. And you can go into the situations, relax and go, I know exactly how this is going to work for me. I can still enjoy, you can still have time and you can be social while eating. Oh, that's the thing. And the thing is, is that like you are in full control of how much you eat, right? Like I've, I used to be in those situations where, you know, I, I, you would usually celebrate like maybe Christmas or boxing day or something with one of my friends. Cause they had this big family party and it was just renowned for having so much amazing food. And because I was in that restrictive mindset, when I was offered with that opportunity, I would just like <laughs> binge at the table, you know, like plates full of mashed potatoes and so much like Turkey and all this stuff. Right. And then I'd look across the table at you know this beautiful girl who just looked very healthy and she was just laughing and talking Mm. with someone else right um and she just had a a plate full of just normal portion size food and i would feel i would feel almost so jealous i'm like why can't i be in that position you know like she's enjoying the exact same types of food as me just smaller portion sizes but she's enjoying life more than me you know she's actually engaged in a conversation she's laughing right now and that inspired me to be like you know what i'm in full control of what i eat at this place and i can still i can still taste everything and tell everyone you know that their dish like was delicious right but I don't have to eat like copious amounts of it. I can have a few mouthfuls and be more mindful when I'm eating. And you really get the best of both worlds. 
presents. And again, that's one of the best feelings too. And you can just like Christmas dinner, right? You can just approach it as it's just a meal. It's just a meal with my family. It's just another meal. I have meals multiple times every single day. This is no different. I just, you know, it's better food. I can still eat the same portion sizes. That's fully up to me. So it's how you, how you approach it. You know, it's fully in your control. A lot of the time, I don't, I know from personal ex- experience that there are certain triggers um, to that, you know, that prompt those, that inability to understand that you have control. I know that something I recently discovered was I was exactly the same person. I would be at an event and I would, it was almost like a FOMO, like a fear of missing out. I would stack my plate with all the things that I really wanted to eat. And it wasn't until like, you know, a couple of events passed and I was like, why? I did, I noticed that same person who had, you know, normal portion sizes and they were chatting, whereas I was trying to stuff my face in the like fear of missing out. And I realized it was, I know. It was this was something I was actually carried on from childhood because I actually used to compete for food with my own father. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh, okay. But I actually realized that when, especially when I go home, Like we could never have, you know, cake or desserts present in the house for more than one day because if my dad was there, it would be gone. (laughs) And I just, I I actually had a a chat to my therapist about, we had a talk about like food and trying to uh, track back to certain situations that may be like a subconscious trigger for me right now. And we found that there was, there's one event that I do recall quite clearly is that my mum, being the chef, she baked this beautiful cake and I went to school. It was a full cake. I went to school the next day and I was so excited to come home to try this cake. You know, when you're just so excited for food and I got home and there was not one slice left. Not one. The whole cake had disappeared. And I found out my dad had eaten the whole thing because he just eats. He just just goes. And I was so, I can't even explain to you that emotional despair. It was despair that I felt after being so excited for the whole day. And I, from that moment on, I started paying attention to, you know, how long food would last in the house and my reactions. And it, kind of all connected we couldn't have nice food in the house for more than two days so for me like a box of tin tams now if you wanted them you had to be the first one to open them and you would eat as much as you wanted until you were satisfied and then leave the rest because it wasn't going to last and I actually carried that throughout my entire life gosh that would have been so tough and that's the thing you don't realize where it comes from. And that's why, you know, maybe things like paying attention to situations that put you in that kind of mindset where it's an urgency to eat. Why, like stopping, putting the brakes on and going, hang on a second, what's the urgency here? Is it because there's one piece left or because there's lots of people? All right, then why am I feeling the urgency to eat two rather than one slice? What is it? And then I actually had to talk myself down and go, you know what, if I want a cheesecake, I can just go and buy a cheesecake. I don't have to eat this whole one that's right here. If it's finished, I can go get another one, you know? And it's, it seems logical when you spell it out, but, you know, in times of emotion, we lose logic. 
I know. Absolutely. You know, you like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It really feels like someone takes over your brain and you, like you, you aren't you. Like you're possessed by like the food gods. <laughs> I know. <laughs> They're just like, we want you to eat and do nothing but eat. <laughs> and look, I'm happy to do that, but look, it's not sustainable. So. <laughs> But yeah, absolutely. Sophia, that is such a good point, you know, and truly understanding where are these feelings coming from? You know, what are the triggers? Why do you want to do this? And why is there such an urgency? You know, like, why do you have to eat right now? Sometimes you just need to sit down with yourself, you know, and just have a moment and breathe and be like, okay, it's going to be all right. I ate breakfast like one hour ago, you know, lunch is in two hours. Like I'm going to be okay kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's the thing we like, we get into this mindset of like, especially when you're dieting, you know, or you're majorly restricting food. If you're in a position like that, where like you get so hungry that you're just like, all I want to do is eat. But then you have to remind yourself that like eating is probably one of the things that human beings do the most frequently every single day of their lives. You know, like most people at least eat three meals per day. Some people eat six times per day on top of having teas and coffees and chewing gum and, you know, taking bites here and there. Like we are always eating, you know, and we live in an environment where we can always eat. There's always that option. So it's something that we do so frequently. And that's something that actually really, really helped me with this past comp prep. You know, I'm like, Tara, it's fine. You're going to eat lunch in an hour and you ate breakfast two hours ago, you know? And then after lunch, you still have another two meals. Like you still get to enjoy food, right? So that's something sometimes you just have to be like, it's okay. You know, I eat every single day. It's not going anywhere. I love that. It is probably one of the things we do most frequently every day. I know that's the thing we, we train maybe once or maybe twice a day. Right. But we eat at least four to six times per day. People go to work once per day or, you know, people do other things or whatever, but yeah, it's freaking frequent. We're doing it every few hours all the time. I love that perspective. That's just, that's shifted my perspective a little bit. That's amazing. <laughs> well, I love how we've just come full circle. I, I think we've packed this up very nicely. Um, before we clock off, Do you have one tip or what do you think is the most important tip to give our listeners to help them bring their brain to the bar and rise to the occasion? What do you think that one of your most important tips or attributes or skills that you think uh, should be passed on that will help set you up for success? So I think it's just understanding who you are and, you know, dedicating a certain amount of every single day to just being with yourself and being with your own thoughts. Because from what I observe in a lot of other people is that they constantly need to be stimulated by something, whether they're, you know, always on their phone, always listening to music, you know, always on their computer, talking to someone, watching the TV, playing a game, reading a book. These things aren't necessarily bad, but they are a form of stimulation, you know, and they are a form of distraction from our own thoughts. So I think that just people just need to spend more time with just them, you know, absolutely nothing else, whether that just be going on a walk in the park, you know, with no phone, you know, no one else, right? You just hear the birds chirping, you hear the wind, right? And you can just solely be by yourself, right? And you can just think 
and you can understand what you really want in life and where you're really going and just sort out your own thoughts. So I think that's one of the main things. Just really spend more time with yourself and uh, confront your thoughts. And for some people that might, it might be a little bit confronting, you know, being in silence, not having these things around them and they actually have to think. But I think it is just so incredibly beneficial to truly understand who you are, you know, it, uh, gosh, it's, it's something that I do every single day. I have a walk every single day dedicated to just, just me, you know, it's just time. It's just me time, me time with my thoughts so that I can just think. And it, uh, it really, really just makes my day and my life better. Even if you don't go on a walk, even if you just sit down or if you lie on your back, you know, just spend some time in your own head and get to know who you are. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I, I make an effort to do that every day myself. I think. Oh, that's wonderful. I've even, I've like identified the different voices in my head. So I know who's speaking to me at what times that, yeah, that sounds a bit crazy, but no. Oh, so I even, I even speak out loud. I speak to myself, you know, (laughs) I'll have a conversation with myself. I don't care if I look crazy. Like (laughs) I'm that person too, that walks around with like talking without earphones and people are like, uh, yeah. Or like if it's, it's a nice day and you're in a really good mood. Heck, I'll even sing songs, you know? I'll go through the park and I'll put my arms out like an airplane and I'll like just sing different songs. And I'm like, I don't care who sees me in the world. Maybe they'll see me and they'll think like, man, she must be really happy. Maybe I should cheer up too. That's right. I love that. Well, thank you, Tiara, for sitting down with me. It has been an absolute pleasure to get into your mind and learn a little bit more about who you are and how you've developed um, and become the successful woman you are. Um, do you want to quickly do a little bit of a chat about the um, bodybuilding dietitians and the podcast? Let us know what's happening next with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, you can you can find me on Instagram at Tiara Nelson. It's just T-Y-A-R-R-A-N-E-L-S-O-N. Or, you know, you can search up our podcast, which is called The Bodybuilding Dietitians. We've also got an Instagram page for the body build for the bodybuilding dietitians. But essentially, my partner Jack and I, you know, we just love helping other people. We love educating people. We love sharing good quality evidence-based information. We love busting a lot of myths. So pretty much over on our podcast, we just get people to ask us questions every week, you know, just relating to, you know, myths involved in the health and fitness industry, you know, and uh, we just talk these things through and we give, you know, science-based answers. And it's a heck of a lot of fun. You know, there's no, there's no BS. It's kind of just like, this is the science, this is the truth kind of thing. So um, uh, hopefully you guys can check out that podcast and hopefully you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. Amazing. I will link the podcast and all the relevant social channels on the description of this episode. Thank you so much again, Tiara, for joining me. Um, Can't wait to see what else you do in the universe. It will be amazing. I can feel the aura. I think I'm going to go out now that it's stopped raining and dance a little bit myself. Oh, it's wonderful. (laughs) Have an amazing day. Thank you to everyone listening to episode seven. Stay safe, stay healthy and keep that smile on your dial. Thank you, Sophia. Bye.